Welcome, everyone, to By Every Word. We are here with our second to last chapter of the Book of Acts. This is Lauren with Lalitha. Hi, Lalitha. How are Hi, you today? Lauren. I'm doing just fine. Good, good. You ready to go on a wild shipwreck journey today? <laughs> <laughs> for me, for me, I'm not a nautical person, so it, it was very interesting to read all of that. Yeah. I know. I'm not nautical either. We're going to do our best, okay? Yeah. So, yeah, ladies, hold on. Okay, so we're at Acts 27, um, and this is where Paul's journey to Rome begins in terms of physically moving. Um, it began in the fall. We know this happened in the fall, probably A.D. 59. Um, and again, in our narrative, we see we used, because Luke was on this ship also. And so he was the one who's giving all these very specific details. I don't know how else you could know. He was there. Um, so... They, they set sail for Italy, um, and they were going to do this going up north and then west and around. And it says they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion uh, of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And um, they embarked on a ship um, from, it says, of Adramitium. And that was a city in... Mysia, it's a region in the northwest ancient uh, Asia Minor. So it's actually, if you were to look at a map, and I do hope you look at a map for this, I needed to because this is going all over the place, mentioning different different um, locations. But this particular place the boat was from is it's north of Ephesus in that coast going up towards the race. Um, so it's it's up in the northern western part of Asia Minor. And that's where the boat was from. So it was probably heading back that direction. Um, and it was going to go along the coast of Asia to get there. So they put out to sea. And we, we see that Aristarchus was also on board. Aristarchus, um, we know we met him in Ephesus uh, in Acts chapter 19. If you remember, he and Gaius were the ones who were dragged into the theater um, when there was a riot. And he was a traveling companion to Paul. Um, he also came back to Jerusalem, remember bringing the aid to the saints in Jerusalem. We see him mentioned in Colossians 4.10 and Philemon 124. In Colossians, we find that er, uh, Aristarchus is in Rome with Paul. Paul calls him his fellow prisoner. And in Philemon 124, he's mentioned as a fellow laborer. Um, so he's actually on board. So Paul is not by himself. So they traveled. Um, the first day for about 70 miles um, north of Caesarea, um, they went to Sidon. It's an ancient Phoenician port. Um, we see that mentioned several different times in the scriptures. Um, it was about 25 miles north of Tyre in the province of Syria. And this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go, leave to, go to his friends and be cared mm -hmm. for. And I thought, wow. You know, Paul was an uncondemned man, and he had been under house arrest for years under Felix and then Festus. So, um, you know, it it was very generous of him to do that. That was a long journey ahead, and the fact that he could be cared for and maybe supplied with the things that he needed for his journey with his friends was, was a real blessing. Mm -hmm. um, so they put out to sea, and then we have all of these particular details, right? The winds were against us. Um, they sailed up to Myra in Lycia, and that is where they changed ships. 
And the centurion apparently is looking for another way to get all the way to Italy. And they get on a ship from Alexandria, which is in Egypt. Now, Egypt is where the grain granaries were for the Italian grain that they would move on merchant ships, the grain from Alexandria to Italy. So that's what was probably happening. And it was often uh, the case that Roman soldiers would accompany not only the transport of of criminals and those who are awaiting their trial, but also merchant ships filled with grain um, to protect the grain that was coming to Rome. Um, I tried to look up a little bit about the, this particular kind of vessel just because I know nothing. <laughs> and it said, I just found one thing, it said a typical size for a grain freighter is about 140 feet long and about 35, 36 feet wide. Um, and there was very little detail other than that. It sounds like it was kind of boxy and it didn't have a lot to make it maneuverable to, to go into the wind. And we see that a lot in this passage that they couldn't go directly into the wind. So it was sturdy, but it wasn't super maneuverable. Okay. So they, they sailed uh, a number of days and they arrived at um, Snidus and then they went ahead and sailed under the lee of Crete, it says, uh, after Salmoni. So a uh, map is really helpful because it, it gives you the whole layout of the Mediterranean, including Africa, uh, which one of the places mentioned here um, is, is actually referring to a place in Africa. So they're having difficulty. That word is everywhere in the particular text. And they came to a place called Fair Havens, which is near the city of Lacia. So if you look at this, it's actually on the southernmost point of Crete. And um, they had been driven away from a really good harbor. Uh, and now they're in fair havens. That's where they put, put to shore, basically, or at least they brought in. But it's not a harbor suitable um, to spend the winter. And so here we have Paul giving them um, advice. He says, since much time, this is at verse 9, has passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast or Yom Kippur, that's what it's referring to, was already over. Paul advised them saying, sirs, I believe the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So he gives them a stern warning and I'm thinking, wow, he's bold to speak up. But for a couple of things, the fact that he mentions the voyage was now dangerous because the fast had it was over. Um, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, is on the 10th day of the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar. This puts it in the fall. In this particular year, if it was AD 59, it would have been on the 6th or 7th of October. And the window for traveling, uh, it, it gets dangerous. The dangerous time to not travel is between mid-September through mid-November. So they were in the middle of this already. And so Paul was giving them, you know, heads up, this is not a good idea. And I mean, obviously the captain would have known this as well, but Paul himself had already experienced shipwreck three times, it tells us. When you look um, at 2 Corinthians 11.25, which was, 2 Corinthians was written before this happened, um, it says that he was three times shipwrecked. So we know that he is no stranger to danger on boats, and he did a lot of traveling on his missionary journeys. Mm -hmm. So this was a real important warning. Mm -hmm. um, but true to form, Centurion paid attention to the owner and the pilot. Um, they had a lot of grain to deliver. Yeah. They probably had deadlines. So um, they looked at the harbor, said, no, we can't spend winter here. So they decided to put out to sea and head up the coast 
a bit to the north and west to another port called Phoenix. It's a harbor of Crete, so the same island, but it's facing uh, facing southwest and northwest, and that was a better place to, to winter. Um, so when the wind changed and it looked like it was going to be good, they went ahead and they weighed anchor and off they went. See, now, they, they tried to get... Um, they tried to move the ship. It doesn't seem difficult to go just up the coast of Crete, but they had an abrupt and dangerous change in weather and it drove them helplessly south away from Crete and just to the southeast of a, an island called Cauda. Um, they shouldn't have normally had a problem, um, but they, what, the fact that they tried to get better control by pulling in the skiff, which is kind of like your, your big uh, rowboat, I guess, if you will, it was a, a, uh, I guess it's kind of like a lifeboat. It was an extra boat to get everybody to shore because uh, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily pull the whole boat into shore. Um, and say so they pulled it out of the water onto the deck and then they secured cables um, and they would do this across the ends or under the center of the ship to kind of stabilize it. Um, and if they had kept going southwest where they were being driven um, by this wind and it, it's called a tempestuous wind, um, a northeaster. Um, there's another word card, Eurocyclic, no, Eurocladon. Um, it's a violent whirling wind. Um, and it's, it's notorious for this particular region of the Mediterranean. And so they knew that if they kept being driven southwest, they were headed toward a notorious area on the coast of Africa, actually. Um, it was full of sandbanks and shallow areas where you could completely shipwreck. Um, it had a reputation called a graveyard for ships. So they did not, they did not want to go there. Um, so they went ahead and they were runner, running under the shelter of a small island, again at Cauda, and they hoisted everything up. And um, then we have in verse 18, that this storm had was going on for days. It persisted for uh, days. Uh, verse 20 says that neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned, which is really sad. It just sounds, really does sound hopeless. But as we know in that day, they would need the sun and the stars to navigate. So not only were they were in a dangerous situation with a horrible storm, but they didn't know exactly where they were, or where they were going. So you can imagine the fear um, that was what was happening. Um, so the captain and crew were busy trying to sail safely. And um, Paul and his companions, I can only imagine that they were, they were also just praying like mad. Um, obviously they were fasting as it says in 21, since they've been without food for a long time, they were way too busy. And if it were me, I'd be too sick to eat. Um, but he stood up among them and he said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. So, you know, this sounds like he's saying, I told you so, but that's not really what he was doing. He was establishing his um, original wisdom that he had spoken earlier. It's not like he hadn't said anything and he was trying to cast blame. He had given sound judgment and wisdom. Uh, and here he's bringing this up again because it's a preface, I believe, for what he was about to say in verse 22. Now yet, even though they're in trouble, now yet I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me, so an angel actually stood before him, 
an angel of God, to of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. I love this. The God to whom I belong and who to whom I worship. It is God who's the center of what he's saying, not him. Um, he is a servant of his master. Mm. In verse 24, and he said, meaning God, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God knew that Paul did have some fear. I mean, this is a really scary situation, a dire situation. It needed intervention from the Lord himself. Um, we know too that that God has appeared to him before uh, or spoke to him. If you remember, he said, do not, you know, uh, take courage when, uh, when he was done in front of the council and they were, they were treating him badly. And he said, just like you have been faithful preaching here, you're going to go and you're going to preach before, um, before Caesar in Rome. Um, So he does get afraid. We all get afraid, but it's a matter of what we do with our fear, right? (laughs) So, so he says, take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Uh, another version says, therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So he gives them the message that was given him along with some details. He knew they were going to crash onto an island, but the ship would be destroyed and everyone would survive. Um as we remember, angels are ministers of God. Hebrews 1.14 talks about that. And they're sent out to provide service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Paul and his companions were the heirs of salvation. And I can't but believe that there were some people on this ship who also were those who were going to inherit salvation mm-hmm. because God doesn't waste a thing, right? right? So we may not have the account of everybody believing, but I'm sure that this, this struck them. And as we'll see in mm-hmm. next chapter, um, there's more ahead mm-hmm. that is going to grab the attention and hopefully the hearts of some of these people. Um, even the hardest criminals, we know that God can touch anyone. Right. Um, so I was impressed how Paul proclaimed his unshakable faith and confidence in God. He just he, he said it straight away, and he spoke hope and encouragement to them with boldness. Uh, he was told by God that he was going to be a chosen, he's a chosen instrument to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the sons of Israel. And here he is. This is full of Gentiles, possibly some sons of Israel, and he is bearing witness. Um, you know, because Paul faced danger with prayer and turned to God, um, God, God responded by sending that angel to minister courage. We know that that happened with Jesus too, right? When he was in prayer earnestly with God in the garden, after he was done, God sent an angel to minister to him. But here he also gives an answer to his prayer. This is what's going to happen and undergird it with confident faith. And it wasn't just for Paul and the other believers, but the whole crew and the passengers. We know that was 276 people, mm-hmm. you know? And God had already been telling Paul to take courage and not to fear, but these people needed to hear that as well. And he knew he was going to Rome before Caesar because God told him that. But the lives of these men, that's what struck me, Lalitha. The lives of these men were a gift given to Paul by God. He says that the way he said, I have granted them to you. Just the wording of it. So he must have been in prayer for them. I mean, he's not usually concerned about his own death. He knows God's going to take care of it, but he was concerned about the people around him who, if they perished, they were eternally perishing. Mm-hmm. 
So he was in prayer, not just for the physical life, but the spiritual life of these people as well. And I was, I was mindful of how God, you can see this through the scriptures. He often spares unrighteous people for the sake of his righteous ones. Um, if you remember Abraham, when he was talking to the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. you know, um, about the destruction, he said, if there'd been 10 righteous, maybe he wouldn't, he wouldn't destroyed. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, instead he sent angels to take Lot and his family out. And, and, and if you remember, they told Lot and his family head for the Hills and Lot basically said, Oh, please, can we go to Zor, this town over here instead? And they granted that the angel of the Lord, again, we have an angel, um, said that they they could flee to, to Zor and they, they would not destroy it along with the rest, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and he said, you got to do it quickly because they can't do everything, anything until you arrive there. So, mm-hmm. you know, God listened. The yeah. angel said, yes, we're going to do that. And uh, it, it's interesting when you think about how believers are given to be salt and light. For this instance, salt of the earth. We're called the salt of the earth, right? Yeah. Salt preserves and keeps things from corruption. Mm-hmm. Salt is is something that's a preservative. So we actually yeah. play a part. God allows us to play a part yeah. in holding back deserved judgment in this day of grace we're in so others can respond to the mercy of God, mm-hmm. to hear the gospel so they have a chance to repent and then receive you know, eternal life and salvation yeah. in Christ. And here the Lord was extending mercy by allowing all these people to experience his deliverance. Right. And I thought we are called to be a blessing. We don't often think about that. We think about, Oh Lord, bless us for this, bless us for that. And we know we, if we're mindful of God, we are grateful for the blessings that we have and that he has blessed us. But I, uh, I was looking at the idea of us being called to be a blessing. I wanted to share a couple of, of verses and, um, because I think it's important. That's part of our ministry that God has called us to um, through Christ. Uh, Zechariah 8, 13. This is um, regarding Jerusalem, the future. And as we know, we're grafted into um, Israel. It's about how God will save them and make them a blessing. Um, this is eight thirteen. It says, uh, It shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. So yes, God saves us, not just so that we can be blessed, but that we can be a blessing. Isaiah 60, verses one through three. I'm just going to read um, two and part of three. Um, This is also about the future glory of Israel, but it's a picture of who we are to be as ambassadors uh, in Christ's kingdom. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Those who are seeking will come, you know, bugs are attracted to light and something so dramatic, such as Paul's faith and his faithfulness and his confidence in the midst of such hopelessness Mm -hmm. that just shines bright, you know, and his message is that of salt. It is a preserving um, you come, you have faith, you believe. Genesis 12, 2. We've looked at this a lot because we've looked at Abraham. This is the promise to Abram that he would be a blessing. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And as we know, we are children of Abraham by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, some examples in the in the Old Testament. If you remember, God blessed Laban 
because of, of Jacob when he was tending for all those years to get to get uh, Rachel after he had Leah. And uh, so that's one of the examples. That is from um, Genesis 30, 25 through 27. I'm not going to read that. Joseph, huge example. Genesis 39, 5. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. So the Lord's blessing was upon all that Potiphar owned in the house and in the field. We also have the picture of God's presence being the blessing. Second uh, Samuel six eleven, when the ark went to the house of Obed Edom after it had not been treated right, rightly, then his family, Obed Edom, was of the Le- Le- Levites, and so the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. So when the word, the, when God's word is obeyed and His holiness respected and lifted high, blessings follow. So the presence of the Lord with the faithful and obedient will bring blessing on those around them, and. It doesn't matter if people see it or not necessarily. It, God's blessing is there for those who have eyes to see it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, as we know, when you can see what the Lord does and his blessing, his love, his mercy in the midst of your own mm-hmm. uh, wickedness, mm-hmm. then with the right heart and attitude, we can come and, and have repentance. So I was just thinking, you know, how can this encourage us? Because um, do we wake up often and just say, how can I be a blessing today? I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? God, show me how. But it's it's God who blesses. It's not like we're the, the blessings come through. We're obedient. But he uses us to do that. He uses us to be his hands and feet. And so as partakers in his righteousness, we also become his ministers of mercy, truth, and hope. Um, you know, we are blessed that we might be a blessing so others can see and know the Lord to bring hope. Um, last week we talked and I mentioned second Peter two, nine, you're a chosen people, a Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that is, that's exactly what Paul is doing, isn't it? He is, he's not just proclaiming it. He's living it Yeah. You know, by the fruit of righteousness, God's excellencies, his power, light over darkness, hope over despair, life over death, all of those things he's representing in this account that we're looking at. Um, So all hope was abandoned in verse 20. um, And then Paul brings that message. Not one of you is going to perish. God told him this. Um, So he says, keep up your courage. I believe God. I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. This is verse 25. Those who have faith proclaim God he is, I believe him, and his word. They're sure and certain. And God is the one who confirms and accomplishes what he has said and promised. Um, in Isaiah 44, 26, um, well, actually 20, 24 and 26, those are the verses. He says, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. I'm going to skip to verse 26. Who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. So the Lord, when he says something and makes a promise, it's sure and certain he's going to do it because he's faithful. He can't not be faithful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I thought for myself, this is a testimony and it's a challenge really to personally believe God at his word. I mean, I know, I don't know everything scripture says, mm-hmm. but we do have, each of us knows and is responsible for what we do know. God tells us that, right? Mm-hmm. For what has already been spoken written and promised in the scriptures, it's sure and certain. 
I mean, Isaiah 55, 11 talks about that. You know, the, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It's going to accomplish exactly what I sent it to do. It's not going to return to me empty. And so I just had a couple of questions that came to mind. I'm going to throw them out. And then maybe if you could share some thoughts, Alitha, a um, couple of questions. Do, do we know what the Lord has said and promised in his word? And then do I, or do we believe by faith the things that I do know? How does this affect my actions, choices, thoughts, and testimony of my mouth? I mean, here we have Paul believing God for what he said. And his, his word is deliverance. And it's do not fear. But do I speak faith and encouragement based on the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship, like Paul said? Or do I grumble? Do I speak fear, worry, or doubt? I mean, those things matter when we are in a situation to be salt and light. Your thoughts on that? Actually, when I was going over verse 18, and it says, and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And I was thinking of the storm that Jesus encountered, Jesus and the disciples in the uh-huh. boat, you know. And um, in studying this, and, and this is not the first time I've come across this question, is that people ask, who was behind the storm? In this situation, we know that God is sovereign over all situations. And um, because he is sovereign in all situations, and we know that storms and afflictions and negative circumstances are a part of life. Well, there are things, things do happen in this world. Jesus basically said in this world, you're going to have, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems. You're going to have these things. And we're in a fallen world. So as the earth groans more and more, as we have the day drawing near in a sense, you know, we have these factors as well. Um, The Lord just doesn't waste anything. I think what I'm, what I would glean from this is that when the situations arise, the fact is we need to deal with them. Mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Do we do those in faith or do we do those in our own strength? Do we do those in our own thinking or we try mm-hmm. to to ask God to help us understand what he mm-hmm. wants us to do? Mm-hmm. And that does, sometimes means not necessarily understanding the why mm-hmm. or the how, but understanding the who. Mm-hmm. who is he, what is he doing? And, um, and what does he want me to do? Mm-hmm. How can I obey you in this situation? Because I don't have control over it, but I know that you know what's going on. Yeah. So, you know, it, in that situation, Jesus, when he was walking on the water, you know, he rebuked the wind of the waves. Yeah. And all he had to do is peace be still. They basically obeyed him, but he is the creator. Mm-hmm. He is the one who has uh, that power over it. And so in this situation, though, um, God had his purposes. And we do know, um, as we see unfold next chapter as well, that there was a great respect that people had for Paul um, as this went. And it was because they knew something greater is here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah this is Paul, but some behold, yeah. something greater is here. And it's kind of Jesus referred to that as well. Yeah. So one of the things that we can get stuck on, I think sometimes is trying to understand the, the, all the details of a situation. And sometimes we don't get that until hindsight. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, lots of bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't get how God has woven his um, amazing grace and wonder, wondrous intervention in the midst of the things until we have that hindsight to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I think that's, for me, that's, that's how I would, would, would tackle that. Mm-hmm. But, but still, a matter of just an awareness of how we speak, how we behave, because when these things happen, mm. our response is so important. 
Do we react and freak out or do we, we realize in that moment, I still belong to my master and he's the one who knows what's happening. I need to ask him what to do, Mm. you know? And then do we believe him to speak truth, even if it sounds crazy and not give in to doubt and fear? Mm. Um, Because in, in the end, believers who don't fear death are the ones who people will look to when there's death to be feared in the world. Right. And they'll go, what, how can you deal with this the way you do? How do you have peace in the midst mm-hmm. of the storm? Cause I don't get it. And I want, I want to have peace. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's that shining of light yes. Yes. and being that seasoning of salt so that they can right. say, Ooh, something, something tastes good here. I want this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then about the earlier question you had asked me, you know, do you believe um, God, do you believe the promises that God has given, you know, and uh, I was thinking of, uh, you know, when Paul said over here, he said, there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. And so this was like a specific uh, promise in this specific situation. So yeah. he could say with total confidence to everybody, this is what God has told me through his angel. Yeah. And he was absolutely sure of the outcome, uh, you know, what the outcome is going to be. And based on that confidence, he could also see say not a hair of your head is going to be hurt. How could anyone give such a promise in the kind of circumstances they were in? He would not have said that off the top of his head. Certainly not. It had to be from literally from the, the, the mouth of God, which is what um, the message came to, you know, to the angel, to, to Paul. Mm-hmm. And it was based on that confidence that he was able to say that. So when you talk about the promises, I would say that it is when God has given specific words like that to certain people, like, you know, they, they might call it a rhema word, mm-hmm. um, even in, in spite of uh, everything looking so contrary, uh, you know, for example, God giving the word to Abraham about Sarah having a child, that was a specific word which God was going to make, have come to pass and they didn't believe it. Um, but in hindsight, they said, God told us and we should not have doubted him. So just like how God did over here and God does in so many situations, um, when God gives a specific word, we can be sure that the outcome is going to be just as God said. Just to clarify, ladies, um, Lalitha mentioned the word rhema, and that is basically a, uh, the picture is a small dagger, and it is a particular scripture that is applicable that God can bring up for a particular situation or a certain time. To move on in this nautical adventure from verses 27 onwards, um, they were in the ship for the 14th night, so it had already been two weeks, and they were at the mercy of the gale force winds in the Adriatic Sea, which is an arm of the Mediterranean Sea. It was about midnight that the sailors sensed that they were drawing near uh, close to some land. Being seasoned sailors, they probably heard the waves breaking on the shore, or they may have smelled the land, which sailors, uh, which seasoned sailors can do. And then we see in verse 28, it says that they took soundings, which literally means that they were hearing the land in Greek. The way they did this was that they tied a weight to a line and threw it overboard. The depth to which it sank indicated the depth of of water. A fathom is six feet, so they were at a depth of 120 feet 
And then later it said uh, 15 fathoms or, or 90 feet. And fearing that they would run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, which is the rear of the ship. Normally boats are anchored from the, from the bow, but on this occasion, the captain wanted to keep the prow forward of the wind so that the ship would be easier to control when the anchors were lifted. I think it is interesting that Luke included all these nautical details. And then it says they prayed and waited for day to come. Because uh, if you remember, it was midnight when they did this. So they had to wait it out through the night and then see what the morning would bring. And then uh, when it was daytime, the, the sailors hatched a plan to desert the ship and everyone in it by letting down a small skiff, similar to our lifeboats, like what Lauren just described, uh, into the sea as a means of escape. Paul perceived what they were about to do and alerted the centurion, warning him that if the crew escaped, everyone else on board would be lost. And so they abandoned that plan. Part of Luke's reason may be that the details reveal just how harrowing and treacherous this experience was. Against the human helplessness of this frightening adventure stands the sovereign hand of God who had promised Paul that he would testify in Rome, as we see in Acts 23.11. And then an angel repeats that promise to Paul here in the midst of the storm in Acts 27.24. It shows that God's purpose cannot be thwarted, even by such powerful forces of nature. Also, Luke shows Paul's calm, practical leadership in the midst of this crisis. Even though he was a prisoner, Paul is the dominant figure in this chapter. Because of him, all 276 people on board the ship were saved from death. Paul's testimony, both by his calm demeanor and by his words, would have had an unforgettable impact on the people on board. We see that in verses 34 through 36, he urged them to eat since they had not eaten for several days. He also boldly told them that not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. They would have been more than encouraged to hear that. He took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Some um, commentary suggests that he, uh, it was sort of suggestive of communion but, uh, you know, communion and the breaking of bread, but whether it was a meal or whether it was communion, we're not absolutely sure. But they all broke bread and then they took food and ate for themselves. Paul knew that hungry men are not efficient men. And so he gathered the ship's company around him and made them eat. In verse 38, we know that it also served as a cargo ship, just like Lauren described, for carrying, uh, it was a cargo ship for carrying wheat because they threw the bags of wheat into the sea to lighten the ship so that it would ride high into shallow water when the sailors beached it. The ship ran aground in what is described as a sandbar or a mud bar. Evidently, currents from two seas converged near the entrance to this way 
resulting in an accumulation of sand or mud. And then um, in verses 42 through 44, as we know from studying previous chapters in Acts, the soldiers would have had to pay with their lives if their prisoners escaped. We saw that in Acts 12, 19 and in Acts 16, 27. The centurion was willing to take responsibility for the prisoner's safety to spare Paul's life. This unusual concern for the, for the apostle raises the unanswerable question of whether this man may have become a Christian on this trip. Also, remember, Paul was a Roman citizen who had appealed to Caesar. Paul would have enjoyed greater privileges than the other regular prisoners. This unusually dramatic and vivid chapter stresses God's sovereign control over circumstances to bring his will to pass. And this also shows to openly trust in God's care means that we will be different in the storm than those who do not know God. It wasn't just like you had said earlier, Lauren, it wasn't that he just gave a whole lot of words and ritualistic uh, you know, things that wouldn't have meant a thing in the kind of situations that they were facing. What they saw and what was so impressive to them was here was a man who was facing death like they were, and yet who was so calm and composed and not in himself, but placed his whole confidence and trust in the God in whose life he entrusted himself. And I, I find that that to be such an encouragement for us because the same God that Paul served is the same God that we serve. And we are facing dire situations around us and in the world around us you know, with this COVID crisis uh, still going on in so many countries and people's lives literally being lost, it is up to the Christians to shine their light like you were talking uh, earlier, Lauren, to be the salt mm -hmm. and light in the world and to shine their light because people in such dire situations, whereas earlier they would have just scoffed, will now be willing to listen. And if their lives are, are saved for eternity, how wonderful that would be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I picked up some things similar to that. And in terms of being salt and light, um, one of the things that popped in, in my forefront of my mind regarding Paul in this is you see the interaction between Paul and Julius by the decisions Julius makes at each turn. Mm -hmm. When he decides to listen to Paul that these men can't leave the ship because mm -hmm. you know the promise was that all who are with you will be mm -hmm. saved. Yeah. And so they needed these men to to sail the ship first of all right. but there was also a measure of the word of the lord said those who are with sailing with you will be saved mm -hmm. um so he he immediately obviously commanded that they cut the ropes mm -hmm. of that ship and let it loose so that they could not leave mm -hmm. but then when they were plotting to kill the prisoners and mm -hmm. julius stepped in mm -hmm. i thought wow we see when he let him go to his friends in Sidon and all of these different things mm -hmm. that Paul was walking in the integrity of his heart with great mm -hmm. faith mm -hmm. and he was proclaiming with boldness. And I mm -hmm. thought, you know, when we walk, like you said, we're dealing with COVID, we're dealing with all kinds of changing mm -hmm. um, attitudes and things in the world. Mm -hmm. How do we not be shaken? How do we walk mm -hmm. in the integrity of our heart before God? Yeah. Um, 
and we do know people take notice. They take notice of these things. If there's an inner strength and a confidence beyond ourselves, that is attractive yeah. to those who have uh, eyes to actually see it and a, yeah. and a heart that desire it. So mm-hmm. um, Paul was directing by his, not just his words, but his behavior to trust mm-hmm. in God, to directing them to believe mm-hmm. God. You know, when I thought um, at the end of this, I thought about how he had shown himself trustworthy mm-hmm. Um, and wise previously, everything he said was happening and everything he had recommended the step-by-step were doing. And as we see, they will all be saved. Mm. And it remind me of Joseph. Mm. If you remember Joseph in Egypt, he was a faithful and he was faithful and wise and God blessed him for his faithfulness and walking in wisdom. Mm. Um, and when he was thrown into prison unjustly, God gave him renown. He had the respect uh, of the head of the prison and prisoners, and he had a position of leadership. And eventually that landed him back in the palace and then in charge of the entire kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to read uh, Psalm 33. And this is verse 18 and 19. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. The verses previous to this, uh, in verse 16 and 17, he talks about how no king is size, no king is saved by the size of his army. It doesn't matter how big your horses are. It doesn't matter that mm-hmm. it's the Lord. When mm-hmm. he looks upon those whose hearts fear him and who belong to him, he's gonna, he's going to strongly support them. And that's what we see in this. Um, so, uh, there's a, there's another one, second Chronicles 6, 19, the first part of the verse, I love this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So our God is a God who sees. He sees our thoughts, the intentions of our heart, and he sees our fears. How do we yield them to God? When the, when the storms hit, what do we do with it? Do we, do we go to ourselves to try and fix it? Or do we fear him and just turn it over to him? And that's a big thing, what we decide to do. Um, so, and then the blessings, of course, they don't just come to us, but they extend to other people. You know, I was thinking about this, just personal application for me. Um, oftentimes, I can try sometimes to manipulate or guide situations to control them, to bring out the outcome I want, or maybe even the outcome I think that God wants. Mm-hmm. We're so used to doing it ourselves sometimes that we can try to do that. But how much better to be faithful to the Lord in our inward being. That's where it starts, right? In the innermost part of the heart. That's where the transforming of the mind and the heart. And um, so then our outward speech and our actions, they're going to be a demonstration of the faith, like Paul's was, pointing other people to the Lord so they can see him for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like Paul was basically the chaplain of the ship, really. He Mm -hmm. was pointing everybody to trust God. Here he is. This is who he is. This is the God I serve. He's amazing. And he's going to deliver us. He said this. And and then God did it. Mm -hmm. So we're also a blessed people of God. And I think, you know, for me personally, we know the Lord. We're known by the Lord. But to be a blessing means that we're going to help other people to to know and be known too. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Do you have any other closing thoughts before we, we finish up? Uh, Sometimes I find it almost humorous. Here, Paul is a prisoner on this ship, and yet he is there (laughs) directing everybody. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I I find that the the life of God in a person who is submitted to Him can take him in so many different directions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And always be on top of life circumstances rather than giving in and you know beaten by 
Yeah. It's a matter of trusting God's perspective versus our own. We did. I was like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Right. You know, Proverbs three, that really, it does. It speaks strongly to that. Uh, Well, thank you, Lalitha. Thank you for your sharing. Thanks for the uh, potent questions and for our time together. Ladies, we hope that this was a blessing to you. Um, Encourage you as you, as you listen to this or as you continue on your uh, study of this chapter to Pull up a map if you can. It's really helpful. And um, next week, we will be looking at 28. That is our last chapter of the book of Acts. So we pray blessing upon you that you will enjoy um, the end of this study. And we encourage you also, we're going to be having a sharing day in our last week. um, And more instructions will be um, sent out soon about that. So blessings to you all and take care. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.